Well, welcome back to the Banter Podcast, where we talk about issues affecting the independent agent channel in a way that's different, unique compared to what you're generally hearing out there. My name is Paul Borup, and, and I'm the guest and the honorable guest here today is Chris Burant, and we're going to be talking about uh, the distribution in the, in, in the insurance channel, and is there really a distribution problem in the independent agents channel? So, Chris, um, you know, in, in your experience, why carriers, why are carriers so focused on changing the independent insurance agency distribution model? It seems like the the new guys coming in, the new companies coming in, want to go direct, and then within a year or a little more than a year, they're always pivoting back and saying, well, now we've got this great, we want to partner with agents. We thought they were so terrible six months ago, but now all of a sudden we want to partner with them. It's kind of funny like that. I, you know, I think part of it is, is that you can make a prospectus look really good if you can shave 12% off your cost structure and convince the investors, we can make just as many sales without agents and not pay 12% commission. And so anybody can convince themselves of that. And uh, the extra 12 points of profit look really good. It looks awesome. And then you get to the real world. And it's a weird thing, but there's a part of this, the insurance buying marketplace that the only way you're going to get to them is through real people. And it's a very large part of the market segment that requires a real person to make the sale. And uh, in today's world, a lot of young people in particular that I meet absolutely refuse to believe that buyers want to deal with a human seller. So I think there's all those factors, Paul. Okay. I've always looked at it this way for those new entrants. They come in, they take a, the very low, low-lying fruit, so to speak. So we'll take lemonade and, and renter's insurance. That's not a very complicated product. It's, it's, it's a fairly simplistic product. Uh, an unsophisticated buyer. And, and really, that's, that's a pretty easy sell no matter who you are. But it's like the old lily pad riddle where it talks about a lily pad doubling in size every day on a pond. And after 30 days, it completely covers the pond. And then the question is, on what day does it cover half the pond? And that's day 29, of course, because the next day, if it doubles, it covers the other half of the pond. And I think that's what it is with a lot of these direct sales companies is they take a fairly easy product, show some initial success with it. And, as, and then as they try to expand out into other products, it becomes so complicated so quickly. And then they're selling to a, a, you know a, an ambivalent consumer in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that nobody, there's no... Um, insurance fan clubs, like you have the Mustang fan club or the Corvette fan club. Nobody gets together and talks about that. The product still has to be sold, even though it's compulsory on, on auto in, in many states. It's still a product that needs to be sold and, and explained. Yeah, there's a lot of, you said a lot there. So um, it's kind of like the new Next commercials. Um, 
as and I think the the lady says, as if anyone dreams about insurance in the, those commercials. Going back to what how you started though, just to be clear, it's not that it's uh, that I don't remember how you phrased it, but it's not that I want to make it clear to the audience that we're not thinking that uh, lemonade is is doing anything wrong or that um, they're going after anything in any wrong way. It's, no, no. It's the tenants market. It's the low end tenants market that's low hanging fruit. You and I both have been in the industry a long time to know that the buyers there are typically unsophisticated. The policies are extremely cheap. Um, I think in the 30 years in business that I've been, 30 some years I've been in business, the average premium has still only gone up $40. So I don't know. I don't know what else you could do in 30 years where the price only went up $40. Um, it's, it's a pretty amazing deal. Another part, though, I think that is important about the lily pad deal is there's a part of the algorithm that's been built. It, it's a different part of the algorithm that I don't think people are quite probably aware of. And your, your lily pad algorithm is really, or example is really important. The way the stock prices of some of these firms have been developed for private equity is that it is going to work. Their, their sales growth will be on, a, on an exponential route. So the lily pad example is an exponential curve. And the idea is it will start small and grow and grow and grow. And then overnight become the absolute dominant carrier in that marketplace. And that's what the, uh, some people have sold to investors, to the, to the um, stock buying public. And the back of the math envelope, back of the envelope math, suggests that that's pretty much exactly what's occurred. Um, when you take that though, and you put it into real world, um, you get that last 50% and things change. All your inputs change. The expense ratios go up generally dramatically because to scale from a 10% market share to a 20% market share is one over five years is one thing to scale from 50% to say 75% in the next two years, you have a completely different business model, no matter how you slice it. And you have all these competitors then that have seen your success and they flood, but they'll come into the market and they change the algorithm with out, outside variables that probably weren't considered when the, when the algorithm was first invented. Um, so, it's really, really hard for that kind of model to actually work in the insurance world from those, those areas as well. Um, you said so much in your statement and that is of such value to everybody listening. It's really Thanks. important. And then the other thing that I've, I've felt for a long time too is, is you look at, at, at carriers, many carriers, that work with the independent agent channel and have for a long time. 
it seemed to me like there's a fundamental misunderstanding a lot at a lot of those carriers on what the uh, process really is to interact with a insurance buyer. You know, they, they don't, they have not done the selling. They haven't been in front of the, the, the buyers personally to see what that process looks like. And a lot of this, well, we'll just go around the independent agent or we'll go around the agent, go direct to the client. Seems to me they have a real misunderstanding of what that truly looks like. Yeah. um, And and many of the, they don't care either. Um, I've talked to enough of them that feel very strongly that whatever, whatever was, was, and their system is so great and so powerful that none of what you just said has any significance whatsoever. Um, And in some cases, they're right. You know, there's a part of the market out there where they really don't want to deal with humans. And that's fine. The other part, as you get more sophisticated buyers, as you get to a more sophisticated product, two issues arise. One is that 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 model that you described, it's really hard, if not maybe in today's world, impossible to make it real for any level of sophistication in the, in the product. Without, and this is the key caveat, without making the product seem extremely simple to the consumer, so the consumer feels like they can make a very sophisticated purchase without any guidance. And we're seeing that happen. I feel that that's an ethical issue within the industry because if you, even if you take, I can't remember the exact number, but um, I did a permutation test for homeowners insurance. And I took just uh, a bunch of standard homeowners endorsements. And I think that there were something like 18 million combinations of coverage, not including coverage limits, just using straight standard um, homeowners. How can a homeowner, a person that knows nothing about insurance, have any idea which of the 18 million combinations of homeowners coverage is best applicable to them? It's an impossibility. And so to make some... product that on the surface kind of looks simple, but isn't, and cause a consumer to, to go, well, hey, I could do it on my own, and I don't need to know any of this other stuff. The agents are just trying to sell me extra coverage that I don't really need. I think there's an ethical issue with that part of that model place there. And I think it's going to be a black eye for the industry as more people discover they have uncovered claims when they buy it on their own terms. On the other hand, the more sophisticated buyer, not necessarily super sophisticated, but enough, and um, more sophisticated products, they understand they absolutely have to have a professional involved in helping them identify what coverages they need, make the right decisions, find the right combination, the right balance between price and coverage that um, is unique to each individual buyer. Um, The idea of this idea that we can just sell it without that human agent. I don't, I don't think that makes much sense. Um, 
not in an ethical way. But that also means I must point out that that also means that agents have a duty, in my opinion, to be professionals and to sell the right coverages and not just be order takers and sell whatever somebody asks for, even if it's wrong. So I want to make yeah, sure that leaves that that leaves that black eye that you're talking about in the industry. I mean, mm -hmm. most seems like a lot of the the grief that we get is self-inflicted. If we if it was done right at the point of sale, it would be right at the point of claim, which is the two times that the <laughs> by the purchaser cares. Yeah, about it. Uh, I love how you just said that. That's beautifully said. Right at the point of sale means right at the point of claim. And uh, other than when we have really bad claims adjusters, that's that's really, really true. So I love that that point. I really do. And, you know, along, along those lines, I'll give you a really good example that we have going on in the United States of America today that should be on that simple level. This is where agents, you can step in and you can really help guide your clients and help them understand why they should pay you a commission. And that's with homeowners insurance, going back to that. During the pandemic, people did so much work on their houses. And how many of them called you up and said, hey, I need to increase my coverage aid because I just did a $100,000 improvement on my house. You know, even before the pandemic, only about oh, three to four out of 10 homeowners ever called their agent about improvements. And that means that automatically they don't have enough coverage A, all else being equal, and they need a new replacement cost estimator completed. And uh, FYI, a lot of agents out there somehow or another think the guaranteed replacement cost endorsements automatically cover improvements and additions, then generally they do not. So this is your opportunity to shine, to show why you're valuable, give your clients a call, send them a letter. Hey, were you like the other you know, 25 million people in America that did a big major improvement to your house in the last 12 months. Hey, we need to increase your, your coverage as a result. Make the human have value. For sure. Um, one thing on the, the other thing on the distribution I wanted to, to talk about is one of the most successful carriers out there, especially from a growth standpoint, a profitability standpoint, it seems like every measure um, is progressive. And, and they do a lot of direct to consumer advertising in, in one area, in auto. But they also have made a huge commitment to the agency channel and have appointed pretty much, I think every agent that exists in the, uh, the big eyes um, agency universe study, right? There's about 36,000 agents and, and that's roughly what Progressive is showing they're appointed. Uh, a lot of carriers have stopped appointing agents or, or, or trying to get into that direct business, yet Progressive has made a huge investment into agents. And I haven't seen the statistic for a while, but I know when they rolled out Progressive Drive, what, about a decade or so ago now, uh, that the, the agency channel was actually a bit more profitable for them than the direct channel was. Yeah, I mean, progressive success can't be argued. Um, they, they are so successful. And 
I think other carriers and, and agents have a lot to learn. And, and a lot of people are resistant to learning. I've, I've had these conversations so many times with carriers and with, with um, agents and brokers, like, well, it will work for them, but it can't work for anyone else. There's a lot to learn from how successful anybody is. And you cannot argue progressive success. It's pretty cool that they appointed uh, 36,000 agents and other and every other company out there says, well, we can't appoint every agent out there and have success. Um, I get that to a point, I'm, but maybe there's something to learn from appointing every agent out there directly. Um, another aspect of it is, is that they've done a pretty good job of identifying that a which market segment is going to come through the independent agency channel and which market segment is going to avoid the independent agency channel. Those consumers are to some degree or another, the same consumers in personal lines and don't forget commercial mm -hmm. that apply to every other carrier out there by and large. All the, the small commercial personal lines carriers. It's the same segment. And that's why I think that you see some carriers also think that are traditionally only agency carriers doing deep dives into the analytics of what if we went direct? What if we did follow that progressive model a little bit further? Um, I think you're gonna see some reversal here or there. Um, down the road along those lines. They've done the studies. They've, they've, got, they've got their um, big consulting studies on what that looks like if they were to go that route. So people shouldn't feel totally safe that everyone's coming into this channel and abandoning the other. So I guess to, to sum up a little bit, the way that I think we're feeling is that um, the distribution channel, the agency distribution channel isn't broken by any stretch of the imagination. It isn't something that's going, that needs to be wiped out and replaced with technology. But if, if for the, the really uh, right way to maybe approach it is to use that technology to re refine the pieces in the channel that need the improvement, right? The, the point of sale consultation the, uh, the ability for carriers to interact with more agents. It's, it, was, it was funny to watch how technology gets better, the ease of being able to handle more agencies. As that improved, carriers started to say, hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna uh, appoint so many agents. This is too much. We're gonna get rid of them. <laughs> At the very time, it was gonna be easier to manage that. Yeah, really good point there. Uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not broken. Um, few things that are going to change just to sum up too that we haven't touched on is that that's important is the carriers in, in certain lines of business, especially like personal auto, commercial auto, they have to decrease their expense ratios to remain competitive. And that's mandatory. They're not getting a choice in this at, relative to their competition. The number one line item for expenses is um, agent compensation. So we're going to see some changes in how agents are compensated as a result of that pressure. But I will tell everybody listening that that's not bad news because the more efficient you make your operation, 
so that you can operate potentially as, at a lower compensation rate, the better you will operate because so many of your competitors will not be able to make that adjustment. And you will be better aligned with your carriers and the better aligned you are with your carriers, every which way from hit ratios to submission quality to retention ratio, PIF counts, all of those sorts of things, the better able you'll be to negotiate back any compensation that's lost and you'll get the best of both worlds. Your expenses will go down, your compensation will be least affected and your growth rate will accelerate and your companies will like you even more than they like you now. So it's a really, that's the one thing that's going to, that I see is going to really change in the near future. Good. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate the conversation. Very, uh, very enlightening yet again. And we appreciate those that are listening and look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you, Paul. Okay, there we go.